Welcome to Business Unmuted. This edition was recorded live at the Virtue Motors Jaguar Land Rover dealership in Leeds. The audio isn't studio quality as normal, but I'm sure you'll enjoy the discussion just as much. Welcome to Business Unmuted, which today is coming live from Virtue Motors Land Rover in Leeds, and Jaguar dealership as well. Thanks to our sponsor, Virtue Motors, which is one of the largest motor retailers, representing some of the world's best manufacturers of cars, vans, and motorcycles. You can check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, and I've owned Recognition PR for around 35 years. We've got 75 clients in multiple sectors, based all across the UK, and between them, they've got a turnover of around £6 billion and employ around 30,000 people. And that gives us a really good chance to be able to speak about what's happening in the economy. Now, today on our Business Unmuted panel, we've got Robert Forrester, who's the CEO of Virtue Motors PLC. Uh, we've got Poonan Kaur from uh, First... Uh, she's FDS director, and uh, that's a company that provides finance for directors and small businesses. But she's also chair of the Institute Directors for West Yorkshire. Chris Byrne is head of business and features at the Yorkshire Post, and Charlene Lyons is the CEO of Black Sheep Brewery. So a great panel to discuss what's happening in the economy. Now, let, before we do that, I must say, behind us, we've got this fantastic sports car. This is a racing car. It's a Jaguar I-Pace, and it's been racing in the E-Trophy series and done very well as well. And uh, we've got a great audience, and including someone who does all the electrification posts that you might see in hotels and hospitality. Uh, which is a very, very interesting uh, discussion we've had just before we came in. Uh, what's the company called? EV? Yeah, EV Life. EV Life. That's what it was. EV Life. Robert, thanks for hosting us. Pleasure. Let's start by talking about the economy and what's happening. I'll just hold up the Daily Telegraph from today, the business news of the Daily Telegraph. Not the Yorkshire Post today, Chris. Uh, it says, crisis, what crisis? Get ready for the weirdest recession in history. Now, everyone's talking down a recession or talking up a recession. Yet, fewer people are unemployed than there were a couple of years ago. Uh, interest rates, although they are high, haven't really hit housing transactions. Um, this dealership appears to be brisk. Is this recession overspun, Robert? We don't know yet, do we? I could counter you with saying, yes, unemployment's low, but economically inactive people is actually very high. Mm. Uh, so I think you've got to be careful with your definitions. I think, yes, mortgage rates are still low, but they're a lot, going to be a lot higher than they were. So the impact on people is going to be quite significant. So I necessarily wouldn't underplay uh, the impact of, quote, cost of living crisis, recession, energy costs being a good example. So I think people are wary, and I think they're probably right to be. Um, wary doesn't necessarily mean terrified, though. In previous recessions, a lot of things happened very quickly, didn't they? If I wanted to come into this dealership and buy a new uh, Jaguar Land Rover, they're, they're expensive vehicles, I'd probably need some finance. Now, finance might be a bit more expensive, but unlike 2008, it would be available. Oh, for sure, yeah. And uh, I don't think we're in a 2008 scenario. That was a systemic failure of capitalism. Uh, I don't think we're there. I think we're in a far more in an interest rate inflationary environment which certainly we didn't have in 2008 so i think the situation is very different very very different than 2008 and and just before we have to mention the vehicles that we've got around us they're fantastic vehicles here at leeds um how is trade what is the environment like for you 
Uh, we, we've got a situation at the moment where we're supply constrained, not demand constrained. Right. So there are lead times for vehicles. There's a shortage of used vehicles. So we're not seeing big shifts in demand. Uh, if we had more cars, we'd sell more cars, certainly these cars for sure. So I think we're more in a, in a very strange environment where there's global supply chain issues, where there's rampant inflation due to more money chasing, not enough products, which is what inflation is. So I think it's a very different situation than we've seen in the past. Let's see if other sectors have the same kind of experience. Charlene Lyons, Black Sheep Brewery, it's my favourite tipple. I love it. You can hear Virtually every pub in Yorkshire has it and beyond as well. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say all that, advertising stands and everything, but I do enjoy it. So there you we absolutely are. can say all that. <laughs> what about the economy, though? Uh, you've obviously uh, got people going out at night. And has that been hindered by what's happening in the economy now? Absolutely. Listen, at the end of the day, consumer confidence is lower than it has been for a very long time. Um, and if you think about what... Um, experiencing right now. You've got macroeconomic pressures, you've got cost of living crisis, you've got um, energy fuel, you've got a war in the Ukraine. There's an awful lot of uncertainty, political turmoil. There is a lot of uncertainty and people are getting scared. People are worried about their jobs. People are worried about um, how they're going to heat their houses, how they're going to feed their kids. Um, and these are kind of first world problems. It's really, it's, it's really challenging. So it's absolutely having an impact on our trade and our sales. So the, the demand is ebbing, whereas Robert's products, these niche products behind us, there is demand in its supply issue. There's no problem with supplying the beer. No problem at problem all with, with supplying the beer, I can tell you. But pubs are open for less hours because there's an issue with staff. Um, Pubs are open for less hours because they can't afford to heat their big buildings. Um, we've got people watching what they're spending, although we are finding, and it's probably similar to you, that premiumization is winning. So if people have got some cash to spend, they're choosing to spend it wisely. So people will go to a pub and buy our product because it's great, it tastes great, the quality's good, and they'll rather spend 20 pence more on a pint than they would on something that perhaps is got less of a flavor profile. So that's really good for us. But we are looking to diversify. We have to diversify. We have to change into different markets because like, like everybody around here, you know, we don't know what's coming. So we've got to make sure that we're future-proofing our business like everybody else is. Mm. Lots of eggs in, one, in different baskets. Lots of different baskets. And actually, eggs is a problem at the moment because there's a supply <laughs> chain problem on eggs and turkeys, which is putting price up. Yes. Um, let's, before we talk to Chris as a sort of independent view on it, let's talk to Puna Kaur. Uh, now, Puna, you run a, a business that supplies uh, credit and finance to small businesses, but you also have this holistic view with the Institute of Direct. What are the members of the Institute saying? I think it's um, across the board, depending on all the different sizes of businesses, it is affecting every business in some manner. And I think with COVID um, taking place a couple of years ago, a lot of businesses have built that resilience. So I feel that they are getting a lot more prepared for challenging times and they've been through those tough times. Um, and what Charlene said, I do think it is coming down to that wise spending and just being cautious about where they can cut costs and where they yeah. can become efficiencies can be gained yeah. to really help with this um, energy um, crisis and things like that. It's looking at 
all parts of businesses to become streamlined wherever possible. I was quite privileged to be asked to host the Make UK Northern Conference yesterday. And the big issues were not the kind of issues that you're talking about from a consumer point of view. They were about finding people with skills. They were about managing mm. people in the workforce and energy, specifically energy. Although there was a lot of talk about the energy price uh, issue abating in due course. Mm. And if people have hedged, then that was a good thing. If they haven't, they were having problems. Um, so. Chris, what are you hearing? You're business editor, effectively, at the Yorkshire Post. You're speaking to a range of businesses in a population of 5 million people. What are the headline complaints? So, I think just on the recession point, um, it was really interesting hearing those different perspectives because I think one thing that's happening is there is a real, real, real price crunch on certain people. Mm. So, if you've got mortgage, um, obviously... If your energy bills, the fixed rate deals up, you're seeing your sort of living standards really squeezed. But also, there's a group of people who may be mortgage free, have got savings that are now going up in value, okay, maybe not the exact rate of inflation, but are actually in a relatively comfortable position. So you're seeing those people have some discretionary spending power um, for things like cars, for things like a nicer beer if they're going out, but other people who are really having to cut back and really cut their cloth in a way that they haven't for a long time. Um, so I think it's as easy as it is to say is everyone's different. There is almost two things going on at once. Yeah. Um, and that obviously affects businesses in different ways. Um, and I interviewed Tony Danker, the CBI Director General, just after the mini budget came out and he said, um, it was, I think it was, it ended up being the day before Kwasi Kwarteng resigned and he said that businesses were putting investment plans on hold because of the uncertainty and we're, I feel as though we're getting to a place where there's more certainty, mm. although the certainty is it's going to be tough, mm. but it's more predictable than it was during that, that sort of strange window where everything was crumbling. <laughs> I tell you what, Chris, we should have people from the Yorkshire Post on the media more because that was a very balanced answer, probably based in reality. I took part in a Channel 4 TV debate just two weeks ago, and it was entirely focused on the stories of the people who were losing out, which is, which is true, but didn't balance on the stories of things where there are opportunities. Well, just, just from a, a personal perspective, I know um, sort of older relatives and friends of those older relatives who were really like searching around for the best savings mm. deal because they're they're desperate to kind of up their savings and they're in mm. actually quite a good position that not saying everyone is um and lots of people are quite exposed but yeah i think that is kind of going a little bit under the radar it does appear to me uh, uh, Kuna, Kuna, let's just see what you think about this that there's actually a public sector squeeze the problem is oriented around the public sector the public sector has spent too much the public sector are trying to claw back on the spending. Mm. That is resulting in a lot of headline strikes and disaffection. Mm. Mm. And the, the squeeze in services has a ripple effect. For instance, if any of the employers on this panel today have someone off ill because they can't get an operation on the NHS, that is going to affect attendance. It's going to affect their availability to work. Definitely. And I think when it, what it comes down to is organisations being better prepared. And the squeeze... I think everybody will feel a squeeze in some respect and I think we have to um, 
as owner managers ourselves really help those that are more in need so we have a responsibility we can't just leave it all to the government to um um get us out of this hole and i think if we put a bit more responsibility on ourselves and do what we can to help one another then that will really help and ensure that we come out this recession stronger there are two things that have happened which have helped Mm. I think one is the government's work on energy caps because if mm. they'd not put that in place for consumers and if they'd not put that in place for business, the world would look a lot different. You know, our energy bill has gone up significantly, uh, but it's been held by the energy cap. And I think that was a real worry. What's the impact on consumers? What's the impact on business demand? Uh, the second thing is actually the stabilisation of British politics has led to a decline in expectations on future interest rates. And if you make an investment decisions, you need to know what your interest rate is because mm -hmm. you need to see if the investment's going to work or not. So I think that sort of getting the adults back in the room has sort of helped a bit mm -hmm. uh, because you can now plan a bit more than you could have done. And I think there was a real phase where actually no one knew what was going on and people probably stopped for a while. I don't think it was fundamental. I think it was a short-lived burst. But I think things have got a bit more. And that's, and that's right. And I know, uh, my, I know you and other clients of my PR firm noticed on the weekend that the price cap was announced, which sadly was also the weekend that the Queen had died, mm. uh, there was a little more, more tick up in uh, sales because people had got a, an expectation mm. that their budget would be more stable. Can I ask what, what you all think about the public sector pay demands? I don't want you to tell us what you're pay, paying your individual <laughs> staff, but I would imagine that uh, these inflation busting demands that are being put forward by nurses and mm -hmm. uh, now ambulance drivers and to a certain extent firemen and the railway uh, sector uh, isn't necessarily helping in conversations you're having. What, what, what do you think about that from a purely economic point of view rather than the, whether, whether people are entitled to the, the, the pay or not? I think it's really difficult and we are, you know, we are also having very similar conversations in our, in our line of work and mm -hmm. I know many of my peers are too retention of people and pay discussions are at the top of everybody's agenda whether or not you're public or private sector mm. full stop and it's because of the things that we've just discussed people are being squeezed left right and center mm. so you know we have a duty of care to support where we can and discuss where we can but we can't do everything that everyone wants us to do because we simply can't afford it and it's the same with everybody else so there's got to be a balance, balance the differences yeah. with public versus private is that there's no scope and no flex in public sector because everyone's banded in a certain way whereas in the private sector there's mm. a little bit more flexibility and people are able to know what the profit of the firm is or what the performance is and there's more of a, a conversation about performance and the relationship to pay Robert? Well, the people making the decisions to pay the public sector workers aren't spending their own money. That's right. Which I think is possibly a problem. Where in the private sector, to take your point, you know, there is a deficit of number of people in the labour market. There is definitely pressure on talent and getting talent. So our job as people in the private sector is to make sure that we pay people sufficiently to attract mm. them and retain them into the business to make sure we can deliver for customers. And that's a market forces thing, albeit the national minimum wage has a massive impact and that is massive. not not in a private sector <laughs> market mm. forces and that has a massive impact yeah. now on business business. So I think the public sector thing, the government hasn't got any money 
And if they go and give massive pay rises to the public sector, it's going to be a red flag, I think, for the private sector, which probably can't afford it. So you've got to, in terms of management, it's going to be very difficult for very the government. Difficult. I think, uh, Chris, I see that when, it, when, the, when the, the, the pay disputes are uh, alluded to in reportage, the BBC and ITV and the big broadcasters sometimes miss the point about the pay review bodies. The people around this table are the private sector employers don't have the luxury of submitting a claim to a pay review body and having an independent evaluation of it. Yet these pay review bodies are there, aren't they? They are. I think what I'd say on the public sector point is you have to bear in mind to a certain extent that it's a negotiation position. Mm -hmm. So you go big at the start and the, the real the real settling point might be mm. considerably lower, but obviously the unions are going to say, we need X, and the government are going to say, well, we can't even go anywhere close to Y, and in reality, the hopefully is a landing point that where, where everyone's not necessarily thrilled with what the outcome is, but there's an acceptable landing point, and I think, well, <laughs> certainly if you take the example of the rail strike, they're struggling to get with that to that point. Um, but yeah, on, on the independent pay bodies, obviously that is... I mean, that's right, but the rail strike yeah. is the old beer and sandwiches at number 10, aren't yeah. But the, the nurses were given a pay review body by the Thatcher government. So the, the, there's a, the, the, the expectation is if you have that independent evaluation, you yeah. don't strike. But I guess things have moved so quickly with inflation over the last mm. six to yeah. 12 months. And now, well, I was going to say, it's starting to calm down, but it... it is and isn't, it's still quite high. No, inflation so should be coming more, down soon yeah. because yeah, energy costs will come down. Will come down. Definitely, by significant amounts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the forecast on energy do. costs are back to like 24 pence a kilowatt mm. as opposed to 51. But, so I, I also think, so I was just going to say, and I, I also think there's, in the private sector, there's so much more flexibility because let's be let's be honest, it's not just about salary. There's about It's about so much more four-day working week, extra holiday entitlement, flexi working, hybrid working, you know, go and pick your kids up, go to, the, go to the nativity. We can do all of that very, very easily and very flexibly. And that is a massive driver for certainly our employees. Mm. It, it really helps. Public sector are much more restricted. And that is a real problem because actually, as I said, it's not all about the cash in the bank. It's about the bigger picture. And Puna? All I was going to say is that, you know, Anybody who works in the public sector have to be very careful about having this balanced approach because if they're not in the public sector, then they'll move to the private sector. And what opportunities are there, there that match against this? So I think from a government perspective, they've got to find that balance of, okay, we've got to be reasonable to keep and retain these people because they're offering a service. But actually, does it match what the private sector has to offer? Or can it, you know, does, is there more benefits that outweigh what the private sector can outweigh? So it's just, it's finding that balance. It's going to be a balance. And I think it is a very big challenge. But I think it, it requires um, both parties to come into the middle with any negotiation okay. to, for it to be successful. Let's segue from pay to skills. Because I was talking Ooh. about the skills issue that was raised at the Make UK Northern Conference. Now... You see a lot uh, of argument uh, from business groups, maybe the IOD has said this as well, maybe maybe not, that the government's got to get its skills offer right for employers. Now, we're sat in this beautiful dealership for modern cars, some of which are electrified, 
And I, I had a, a survey from Kantar yesterday on behalf of the Department for Education asking me if I'd ever used any of the government schemes. And they were focusing on skills for growth. Now, Robert, you run a big business with thousands of staff. Do you engage with government schemes to train? Or how do, how do you teach people about how to operate these electric cars, how to service them, how to sell them, how the finance works? We don't use any government schemes, apart from the fact we were forced to pay the apprentice levy, mm. which made not one jot of difference to how we did anything, actually. But you do uh, have apprentices. <laughs> but we, we took on 250 apprentices wow. um, last year, and we'll continue to take on lots and lots of apprentices, and they can be doing... You know, but they're not through the government. Well, we have to access them through the apprentice levy because the money right, was taken off it, yeah. us and we now have yeah. to access it. I didn't necessarily agree with that policy, if I'm honest. It didn't change our view on apprentices. Uh, and actually, apprenticeships are complex these days because you can leave school at 16, 16, leave school at 18. And we've got, I met a chap earlier on who's doing a degree apprenticeship, yeah. whereas off to Northumber University doing business management as part, part of the job role. So... I don't think it's primarily the government's job to train the workforce, if I'm honest. What the government's got to do is produce people at 16 and 18 who have the requisite skills to join the workforce and and then the employer should be training them. And that's what we do. We train them. Are the schools producing the right people? Debatable because the thing moves on so quickly. You know, we need data analysts. We need digital marketeers. We need technicians who are very, very bright and able to use software because these things are software. Yeah. You know, the amount of semiconductors in that would astound you, yeah. to be honest with you. So I think we need... And you need core skills. The you need core skills. what wire goes where on yeah, what model it, you you'll need, teach. You need science, you know, STEM subjects increasingly in anything, whether it's marketing or, or technicians. You need STEM subjects. You need some degree of mathematical ability. Uh, you need English skills. And does the education system produce enough people with that? Actually, I think it probably does. I think it's then up to employers to design schemes with uh, private supplies in some case. You know, the technicians who are trained to use, work on that Jaguar, the, ma- the manufacturers work with us to put technician apprenticeships in to make sure they have the requisite skills. Don't think it needs the government to do that. And these people who keep saying the government needs to do more and more, the private sector needs to step up and actually do it. And you're not necessarily a victim of this, but sometimes business groups call out for the government to do something must be mm. done. The gov- something must be done by the government. Isn't that just corporate welfare? Of course it is, and it's trying to, you know, pass on the responsibility that actually it's not just down to the government to look after this responsibility. It's down to all of us as business owners. And I think what we've got to have is, in, especially with state schools, there's got to be that same levelling up agenda across the whole of the country, where and every every student no matter where they're born or where they live, should be getting a good education. Mm. Because if we can instill that good education up to 16, 18, then world's your oyster. Yeah, that's a very good point. Chris, you, you report on a lot of these things in the Yorkshire Post. Yorkshire may be not as bad as the North East, but the North of England generally has fallen behind London when it comes to uh, academic uh, results and general school education results. But. Is that where the focus should be, or should the, the, the schemes for businesses to retrain be there? What about the 50-year-old that needs reskilling? Well, I think um, on your point about um, Yorkshire being behind London uh, when it comes to education, that's something I think in the levelling up white paper. They've said, well, I think the, the phrase is ambitious. Yeah, ambitious. Um, yeah. For for sort of bringing up the the standard to which primary school children are mm. finishing. 
um, to get 90% to the sort of accepted standard. And I think at the moment in some places it's around 66%. Mm. So to change that in eight years with limited amount of funding, I think is, well, some would say ambitious, others might say probably unachievable. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that the education point, there's a lot to do, but um, on what you were saying about sort of almost government get out of the way, private sector needs to step in. I guess I'd say I've written so many stories about the government must do X, must do Y yeah. from various groups mm. calling for it because it's an easy win for them and it mm. makes easy copy, if mm. being brutally honest. But also I would say it would be a brave business secretary who turned around and said, oh, the government's not doing anything about this, it's up to you private sector mm. people. Because the government likes, politicians like to be seen to be doing something and to be at the centre of events as well. Yeah. And to break out of that is quite a... I don't think the public sector is very good at deciding what we need. Because yes. they're always 15 years behind, yes. actually. The private, but we know. You know what you need in our, your business. I know what I need in my business. I think what we need is, take your point, very, very good academies, very good comprehensive schools mm. with the right leadership, producing people with mm. talent, drive, energy, mm. who we can do work with. Mm. And that's where that's where the North, I think, struggles. Yeah. Actually, Charlene, I think, you, sorry, sorry. Bernard, it's just that Charlene on this point. No, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I think it's all about collaboration. You know, we we're always better together. Whatever mm. way you look at anything, mm. we're always better together. Does the public industry need more people to come in with, as, 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 as migrants to our workforce? Because there's a lot of pressure on the government to allow more legitimate migrants in to fulfil uh, vacancies in hospitality. Yeah, I mean, and is that corporate welfare? <laughs> I think we, you know, as as, as business owners, leaders, whatever, um, we're under an awful lot of pressure. We have mm. the sustainability agenda, we have the leveling up agenda, we have the apprenticeship agenda, we have every, we have, and then we have our kind of commercial well-being and actually trying to run a business for the shareholders. It's really tough. It's really tough and really challenging. And actually, I think what we need to do and what we do, I'm sure, um, is make sure that we pick and choose what's right for us at any one given point in time. And that's the best that we can possibly do. So do we employ, employ apprentices at the moment? No, we don't. But are we absolutely focused mm -hmm. on sustainability and carbon neutral products? Yes, we are. So we can do what we can do, but there can't are certain things that we can't. You're a private Absolutely. business, you're not the government. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and thank you for joining us in our audience here at Virtue Jaguar Land Rover in Leeds. We'll be back on Business Unmuted at the same time next week. <laughs>